This is Studio 84, the podcast. That's right, you have arrived at episode one. And thanks for your time. That's a working title, patent pending, of course. We'll have questions and conversations with some of our favorite music makers that we've either hosted or we've seen or we're just we're fans of. Uh, it's all about live music. And we focus on the South Shore, baby, but uh, points beyond will also be in the conversation. There's a lot of other people hosting shows. We'll touch base with them as well, maybe on another episode. Uh, there's a lot of people doing the same thing we do. Next year, 2023, will be our 10th year. More proof that time is flying. I owe this all to the commish. You might know her as Janet. Janet from another planet. Uh, my better half, simply the best, better than all the rest. Um, give us a drop a line at studio84hc at gmail.com. Let us know you heard this. Let us know anything. Tell us we suck. Doesn't matter. Questions, comments, nasty suggestions. Feel free. Drop us a line. Uh, tell us you listened, and maybe your name will get thrown into a drawing, and we'll pick one lucky winner. They'll get free. They'll get a free ticket for every one of our shows in 2023. We've got six shows on the books. Don't ask me how I manage that. And the first one kicks off in February with the great Ward Hayden and his partner in crime, Dave DeLuca. And from there we go to April, June, August, September, and we round out the year in October. Three shows indoors, three shows outdoors. Variety is that spice of life, especially when it comes to Studio 84 of the podcast. That's right. Today's episode, episode number one, we're going to focus on Jay Passaros. Jay's a uh, Weymouth guy. Who doesn't know Weymouth? Weymouth Landing, home of the world-famous chair fair. All right. Who, who, who didn't go to chair fair if you were on the South Shore? Although he's from Weymouth, he's got his own state-of-the-art studio in Situate, where he's going to be having a great uh, holiday show just in a few days on the 23rd. He's already sold it out. And the state-of-the-art studio, as well as PB&J records that he runs. This guy is a hustler. He is the Pete Rose of the record business. Uh, his wife does photography and videography for PB&J records. They can do the whole package for you, where you can create videos and content right there in situate. He is more than your barroom singer. He is more than your open mic host. The pandemic did not slow him down. He had a hell of a pandemic. He got uh, some great opportunities that we'll talk about on the conversation, including um, he's a humble guy, so he didn't really not mention opening up for some big acts and being on stage in front of uh, some big crowds. He had a run of shows opening for Three Dog Night, Styx, REO Speedwagon, Foreigner, and some guy named Gordon Lightfoot as well. And enough of me yipping and yapping. Here's my conversation with Jay Passaros. Find a little faith in Find a little peace of mind. Jay Passaros, thanks for your time. Yeah, my pleasure, Neil. Thanks for having me. <laughs> All right. Uh, there's no real need to plug that first show because it's sold out. Yeah. But, uh, you got to be thrilled over that. I am. You know that that's it's so the past past couple shows we did we did it like traditional venues and um you know they they were great but it's just it's it's hard to make a buck sometimes, you know. Yeah. And so this 
this particular show, we were like, you know, we have the space at our studio. Um, and it was a roll of the dice because, you know, we had to pay for the liquor license and we're shipping in all our own concessions. We're bringing our own lights, our own sound. But the idea is that it's a place that we can call our own. Um, you know, we can take care of the band members and everyone a little bit better nice. than a traditional venue. Um, but yeah, at first the pressure was, was on a little bit because, you know, you got to arrange all this stuff and, you know, so many things like, Oh, what if we can't get the liquor license? We just got a food truck to come in. We're like, what if a food truck doesn't come and people don't have a good time? Um, what happens if the landlord doesn't, doesn't want you to do this? And then the more people involved, the more overhead. So the fact that we were able to get get our numbers going early on thanks to to guys like you <laughs> um being, being a big help in that you know i mean we, we appreciate that so we're, we're pumped yeah i saw the full show uh the full band show at the spire i think it was this past april where you were yeah you were set to play the lobby but uh there were a few too many folks who wanted to see the show so you you banged out the the main stage awesome show awesome show thank you yeah you know it's weird this has kind of been like a a little bit of a not a turning point, I guess, but, you know, tickets are hard to sell. Yep. Um, and I have always kind of struggled with that. Um, and it was weird coming out of COVID, you know, getting some opportunities to go on the road and whatnot. And then I kind of came back and, you know, this band that I've been playing with has kind of been, uh, you know, work in progress for years. Um, you know, you play with one guy and they don't work out and you bring someone else in. But I, I was really surprised that that show at the Spire Center sold out. And it's kind of been a good string since then. And I, I attribute a lot of it to the guys in the band because they're just such good players and they're entertaining. Um, you know, and we've been able to to do some shows where we're selling some some tickets this year. So I'm, I'm pumped about that. Perfect. Now, you got the same uh, group of guys with you that were at the Spire? Yeah, same group of guys, but we've added a guitar player. Um this guy Sam Chase, and he'd actually be a great guy for that for your house concert because he's an incredible singer songwriter. Um, he's a local guy he's from Situate, um, just fantastic musician. He actually did the Lobby series um, last month, I'd say. Okay, I, yeah, I'm um, familiar with the yeah. name. Just I, I I don't know his work though. Um, yeah, he's so good. Go check him out. But yeah, no, that's a part of you know. One of my questions is who do we need to know about out there on the South Shore? in new england um you know uh, uh, there's a bunch of music fans like myself who dig what yeah. you do uh you know the music maniacs are out there and they're st- always starving for live entertainment as far as i'm concerned yeah i mean there's so many there's so many talented folks out there <laughs> especially in my position you know doing a lot of booking for people it's you really realize how lucky you are to be able to do some of the stuff because there's so much talent floating around there. Right. Um, you know, and I attribute a lot of the stuff I've done to, you know, right, right place, right time. Um, but definitely Sam, Sam's fantastic. Um, I love my buddy, Carlin Tripp. He's a great singer, songwriter. He's got some really good songs. Um, of course, you know, Abby Vale. Yep. Uh, see who else I'm trying to think like through my, my booking roster. Nico Rivers is great. He's a great artist. Um, I don't know if you know Carrie Powers from from Connecticut. Yep, familiar with her. Yep, Carrie's awesome. Uh, Krista Baroni, also from Connecticut. I think you know Sarah Blacker too. Yep, uh, sure. And I know you know Ward. You know Aldis Collins. Yes, yes. Yeah, Aldis is an interesting guy. Um, let's see who else in our 
kind of in our backyard here. I just booked uh, Ward uh, for a February show with oh, um, nice. with Dave DeLuca. Oh, I love DeLuca. Now, uh, <laughs> it, it was a infamous night uh, uh, six years ago in 2016 yeah. where we had Ward with Dave and we're hitting the reset button. It's uh, it's like a redemption show this February, right. indoors yeah. obviously, um, you know, because you know what COVID did to a lot of shows. But yeah. I, I, I can't wait for I can't wait for the summer. I need a show. <laughs> yeah. What well, what did Dave t- do to you that requires redemption? Um, <laughs> well, let's just say he stayed the night at our place. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but all, all hey, oh. it, everything's about second chances, right? So, do you want to hear Dave DeLuca's story? Bring it on. Okay, so we, I, I love Dave. He's, you know, it's weird. In, in music, you, you make a lot of acquaintances, and, but Dave's a friend, you know? Yep. And uh, so I forget what year it was. This must have been, ask him about this when you see him. This must have been like five or six years ago. I got the dumb idea that like, hey, I, I wanted a sailboat or something, right? I've never sailed, you know? But I was like, <laughs> well, I, and I'm researching it. I'm like, you know what? There's tons of free sailboats out there so i find this sailboat it's free and I, I i pick it up i bring it home and i i work on it a little bit and i i moor this thing out at wallaston wallaston beach which is like it's in quincy it's notoriously an exposed rough harbor so i'm talking to dave i'm like hey you know you know next week or something we get together why don't we go out on the uh sailboat or something so we're walking down like the the beach strip and he's like, which boat is it? And I'm looking out into the harbor and I'm like, you know, I can't see the boat. So he's like, he's like, what do you mean you can't see it? I'm like, well, I don't know. It's probably just, we'll just get in the, the dinghy and go out there. And we go out to the boat and the whole mast had fallen down on me. So I'm, I'm out there with DeLuca and DeLuca's in this dinghy floating around and we're drifting. He catches the, the, the uh, mast um, rigging in the prop of the dinghy. I'm screaming at him. He's screaming at me. And it was like, the only, you know, I've had so many sessions with Dave where it's just always goes a step too far. He took me kayaking one time, but he, when he goes kayaking, he likes to go kayaking for like these like five hour adventures. Yeah. You know, I, I just thought we would be out in the bay and he took us all the way from Marina Bay across the the main channel to Boston Harbor out to this island and I had like the worst sunburn <laughs> I, I couldn't sleep and I was like dude I thought that this was going to be some nice little paddle around the harbor but it, it doesn't surprise me that when well, we say I, th- I think if I had known some of this information I would have known what was what we were going to be in store for in 2016 when Ward brought him here <laughs> oh my god it, it's- I love that guy. It's always a good time. And, you know, now he has completely gone off the deep end with his 37 chickens or whatever he has over his yeah. house. Yeah. And- yeah. Well, what, what brought that, uh, it didn't bring it to a screeching halt. It's just that, uh, the first half of the show was spectacular. And let's just say there were libations involved and oh, I'm sure. it, it kind of changed the second half. But like I said, I'm all about redemption, and that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that the show was terrible either. Because yeah. the man can play, that's for sure, and he fits well, well with uh, with Ward. Of course, anybody right. who's uh, playing next to Ward 
you know, with a voice like that, it's just oh, God yeah. almighty. Ward's one well, of my favorites. I'm going to have to try and go down for that show. Um, yeah, 218, you're more than welcome. If um, nothing else, to put Dave in a position where he has to seek redemption once again. So <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Well, let's back up. Let's back up for the folks who don't know you. Um, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Weymouth. Weymouth, that's right. And yeah. uh, I know Weymouth is still near and dear to you. Yeah. Uh, what about parents as far as being supportive to the whole music thing? You know, so at first, you know, it's interesting because my, fa- my father's self-employed. He's a contractor, um, has, has worked in the real estate business for a while, various different degrees. And my mom um, was a court reporter who recently retired. She worked for my my grandmother's, my great aunt's court reporting firm in Boston. Nice. Um, so, you know, at first I think they were very, you know, I, I went to college, but I, I stopped going to school and they're like, well, why are you doing that? And because I wanted to play in a band and I wanted to play music and they were very, very like, you know, well, don't quit your day job type of thing. <laughs> Not understandably so. Um, but then they've, they've, they're my number one supporters now, you know, I mean, awesome. I, I think like any parent they they just want to look out for their their kids and make sure that they do the right thing and you know they know that you know my father that being self-employed is difficult in its own right let alone doing something like music as a whole different animal right. um but i i think when they when, once i got my job working at the medieval manor i think when they saw that and they really you know i was paying my own rent living up in vermont at the time and commuting back to boston to do those shows I think that eased, you know, kind of eased their, um, their, their worries a little bit, you know, cause music's a foreign thing and a lot of people don't understand, you know, how the industry works and they don't understand that people can make a living at this. You know, if you're, even if you're not a Bob Dylan or you're not a, a Lady Gaga, um, I think, I think for them it was seeing, seeing that you can make a, a living as a, a working class artist. Yeah. Now uh, to back up the medieval manor. Uh, yep. What was your time there? So I was, uh, one second. Hold on. I got to charge this. I was there. Oh man. So I was the youngest, the youngest cast member at the time. Um, how's that? Can you still see me? Yep. That's fine. Yeah. Okay. So I was the youngest cast member at the time. Um, I got hired when I was 20, but I think I did my first show when I was, um, when I was 21 there. So I was still in Vermont. I graduated 2000, 2003. Let's see. So I want to say I probably started working there 2005 or six. Um, Oh, you say cast member. You, you, you're talking music now here. Yes. Music. Yeah. So, I mean, you were, you weren't, you weren't serving the dinner. (laughs) No. So every, everyone else, well, part of the medieval manor, a lot of the cast does serve the dinner, Yeah. but it's, it's all actors. Right. Um, and I'm not an actor. I don't claim to be, um, I was a, a musician and they needed a minstrel and I was 20 years old and, trying to figure out how to make a living and i did a couple random you know i've 
done some gigs before that and maybe taught a couple of lessons and it was a great opportunity to really get to, to play and be on stage and it was an interesting gig because I was the only musician you know with an instrument really on on the stage and I was there for 11 years in the course of medieval manners history there was only three minstrels across close to 50 years in business nice. um and what what this allowed me to do was really be on stage you know, I, at the time I was doing shows Friday, two shows Saturday and Sunday. You got a shift pay, shift pay plus tips. Um, and then you were responsible for the music for the show because it's the, it was a musical. Essentially, every, every uh, 90% of the numbers had singing in it. And the wenches would sing with you and the cast members would sing with you. But it was up to you to make sure that the songs came in at the right time. Um if something went off the tracks a little bit, it was all on you. There was no hiding. It's not like you were, you know, part of a band or anything. And what was the music? What what songs are you talking now? You know, so it was really weird because a lot of the songs were like comedy oriented songs. Yeah. Um, we did a song called like Willie Wee, where there's a wench singing about, she's had a lot of lovers, but her favorite lover was the one was Willie Wee. Okay. <laughs> and then there was like a bit about the Chandler shop where, you know, there was the oaf breaks into the Chandler shop and finds the Chandler asleep. So gets into some mischief. All this had like crowd participation. Um, but we did have some nice numbers. Like we did Scarborough Fair, um, which is a really intricate song to finger pick. And the wenches singing together, you know, against each other was really a beautiful arrangement. You know, we did Parting Glass. We did, um, I played Whiskey in the Rain, made its way into the show over there. Nice. Um, so I did that. What else? You know, it was always, kind of, we kind of mix it up too from time to time. Um, the original minstrel there was like a, a, a straight up Baroque classical guitar player. Right. Um, and that wasn't my style, of course. And I, I was probably the farthest thing from a medieval theme, but you know, you put me in costume, I would play a lot of stuff and drop the like what we call the instrumental breaks in between bits while the while the cast was serving food to everyone um so i'd be responsible for these like five to eight minutes gaps of instrumental music um in between the serving of food and then of course the show would start back up again and you know so the minstrel was a unique position because while everyone else was kind of on and off stage for the better part of two out for for two hours i was on stage the whole time Oh, you, you're getting your chops in big time then. Yeah, it was great, you know, and we had crowds. I think our, our capacity at that place was like 180 people. Nice. Um, and, you know, for a while it was really, really good. And, and of course, you know, there's a whole myriad of reasons why the place um, went out of business. It was very sad that it did. Um, yeah. I met my wife there. Um, Beautiful. You know, Kate, Kate I never made it to that place, strangely it, enough. It was a hoot, man, you know, and... It's just, it was, I'll never have another job like it, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I miss, I miss that place. But on the same hand, I'm kind of glad that it closed down because I think I'd still be working there. I don't know if I, yeah. could, <laughs> I don't know if I could have pulled myself to, to leave it because it's such a special, a special thing in Boston's history. So, yeah, well, that thing, one door closes, another one opens, right? Exactly. Now, backing up even more, uh, when, when did you pick up music? When did you? pick up the first guitar um so my dad strums a little bit um 
you know, he likes to have a couple Bud Lights and go down in the basement and, and make some noise. So there was always a guitar in the house. I think I, you know, he probably tried to teach me a couple chords when I was, you know, early teens. Yeah. And then in high school, you know, there were a couple buddies that played guitar. Um, so it was kind of always around. But I think later on in high school is when I really started to gravitate towards it. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, Bless you. Yeah. And, you we'll know, leave I, that I, in. I'm not going to bother. At, at, to yeah. Don't, don't edit that out. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I'd come home every day from school and I'd, I'd play it and I'd, I'd just spend hours with it. And that's when I really enjoy started enjoying it and learning it um, and kind of writing instrumental music. And it's funny, the instrument, the instrumental stuff that I wrote during high school is actually a lot of the stuff they ended up playing um, in between sets at the medieval manor. Um, So that was a great experience to kind of understand the process of writing something and then putting it in front of people because taking something from your, your living room is to the stage is a completely different thing. Like no matter how practiced or prepared you think you might be with the song, when you introduce a live element to it, it it changes it drastically. So that that was cool. And what was the first music that you were, um, it, not necessarily, not necessarily influenced by, but what did you gravitate to when you came home, picked up from school, picked up the guitar? What did you find yourself listening to and, and trying to play at the time? Oh man, um, you know my dad's always been a music lover, so there was always the Beatles, Dylan, um, you know Moody Blues. Then he listened to a bunch of Chris Isaac, CCR. Um, I'm trying to think. You know, Tom Petty was a huge influence, of right. course. Yep. I think Petty might have been some of the first songs that I I started to try and learn. You know, something like Free Fallen was super easy. And if yeah. you're just trying to get into guitar, it's like, well, that's only three chords. Yeah, you say, oh, my God, look what look what I'm doing here. It actually sounds like it. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. And, you know, that's what's great about, like, so much of folk and rock music is it's not complicated music. Yeah. And, and it takes very little you can get a lot of inspiration from very little. In, I mean, I that. picked up the guitar when I was 45. I said, on my 45th birthday, I said, I, I'm going to go buy a guitar. Yeah. And uh, being someone who never even tried it before, uh, as soon as I was able to strum the chords, never mind bar chords and get comfortable with it, I found it amazing how simple some of those things were whether it's three chords or throw in the relative minor and you've got four chords now right right. and it was a revelation i mean it was my mind was blown over g c and d you know tom petty has a a great quote um i think when he was watching the beatles what was it on the uh the ed sullivan show yeah back in back in the day and i forget what documentary it is i think his documentary running down a dream and he's like, I saw the Ed Sullivan show and I saw the Beatles. And he said, I want to do that. And then he's like, I had this revelation because all I needed to do that was right in front of me. It was, you dress like this, you, you get the haircut, you get those guitars, you play those chords. And then it, it fast forwards to the scene of him like starting his first band. Yep. And it was that like same revelation. And that's kind of what I love about music is, you know, of course, for me, it's it's turning into like a lifelong a lifelong quest um but it's 
that that feeling of like oh my god i can play three chords um goes on forever because then it's like oh my god i can i can sing to this yeah and then then it's oh my god i can do this with other people and then you know everything that has come my way with with music whether it be recording or playing with different groups or sitting in as a guitar player or writing a song with someone it's been a constant source of that that same feeling like you said when you first pick up a guitar and you learn three chords and it's it's funny because when you get it just to your point you're like oh man like this was so we could do so much this is easy but it wasn't you know you, you nope. failed to mention the the six months or, or a year before that you spent you know trying to remember the chord and yep. you know get the muscle memory going but what i love about about music and and creating and crafting it is that it's been so many of those first experiences. And, and of course, like anything, I think the hard thing is, is maintaining the simple stuff once you understand it. Right. Um, because- yeah. What blew my mind a lot was uh, I would learn uh, the chords to a song. And then sometime later, I'd learn an, a, a song by someone else. And I'd say, shit, it's the same song. It's the same thing. I know. It's the same. Everything's already been done. Right. You, you can't do anything new, it seems, which has got to be so difficult for everybody who's out there doing the grind, you know. Well, you know, yeah, it's like it's it's it, it, to be inventive and really unique. I mean, it's it's difficult, but it's like anything, you know, it's like you look at guys in the technology s- sector. It's like, oh, like, what do we create from here that's different? But John Mayer talks about this. And he's like, man, like I used to be writing and at Berkeley and I'd write a song and be like, oh, it sounds just like this song. He realized that he just had to trust that sure, it might be the same mechanically, but cosmetically, nobody else is John Mayer. Right. And and it's weird. I, I think it's as I've gone on and the I've written so many songs at this point, most of them, a lot of them don't ever see the light of day, but I'm trying to be more faithful with that, which is like, you just need to trust that whatever you write is going to sound unique into yourself and, and the environment that it's placed in, you know, cause you're never going to come up with a brand new chord progression. No, or no, it's it, things. Everything's been done before, you know? Now, uh, speaking of that, what, what comes first for you? The, you sit down and come up with a riff or you put words on paper, you know, it's, 70% of the time it's, it's like riff oriented. Um, and it's changed, you know, or when I first started writing, it was all riff oriented. Like I, because the guitar was, was still so new. It was like, every time I sat down, it was like, Oh, here's a different, like a new style of thumb picking or, or finger picking. Here's a new strumming pattern, or here's a way to, you know, different styles and genres of playing. And I would fall in love with that. And then I would put words to that. And, it's it's interesting because as that evolved and to your point, like as the instrument has become less new to me, it's forced me to write in different ways. So, you know, early on, very rarely would I have a, a concept to write about and have lyrics and then put music to it. And as I've gone on, it seems like the process has married itself a lot more where it's I'm writing much as much melodically as I am lyrically at the same time, um, right. which I think has been really good. I mean, I, I've 
you know, the been recording with a bunch of guys with the band for on and off for the past few months. We've been going down in Connecticut and back. And um, a lot of these songs were written with that process. And it's uh, they're stronger songs, I think, because as I've gained more experience, you're able to write with that whole overview. Um, whereas when I first started writing, you don't know what you're doing. You just you're shooting from the hip and putting things together. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Um, but it's also gotten a little harder in that sense, too, because I, I think I would like to hope that the songs have, are getting and have gotten better. Right. And as and as the songs get better, you need your standard rises. Now you um, mentioned the the studio in Connecticut. I I caught uh, a video recently. Yep, beautiful place. It's awesome. So it's this guy Eric Lichter. It's a called Dirt Floor Studios, and we've both known who each other are for a long time, um, just through various people and you know the the music network. And over COVID, we started kind of talking a little bit over Facebook and Instagram because we were both putting so much stuff out and he'd go to his studio and just track and record. And I was doing the same place at my place. And we were kind of connecting over different types of work that we were putting out. And then my buddy Carlin booked a session down there. And I said, you know, I'm going to go down. He goes, can you come in and side guy for me? I said, sure. So I went down and played on one of Carlin's tunes and met Eric in person it's cool, man. It's like this little old log, like Sears log cabin kit yeah. on top of the hill. And there's nothing in it except uh, a bunch of recording gear. Yeah. Uh, looks beautiful. It was, it's great, you know, and you know, Eric's a super talented producer and uh, his other buddy Guido works as the engineer there. So I was like, I want to, for this album that I'm recording now, I wanted to do it all in a live setting. Like I, I call it a big boy record because what we play is what we get. Um, nice. So that's what we've been doing down there. We've just been going down there and playing the same song 40 times. <laughs> well, it seems like everything you listen to now, uh, nothing is quote unquote live, you know? So your, your goal here is to make a live record with after you you've recorded it. I assume there's some, some doctoring, afterwards yeah a little bit of doctoring you know i think the the big thing you know is vocals like there's a couple songs where it's like we just tracked it we're like sounds good um but for the most part the process is everyone is isolated okay so like in a lot of set like my my studio is very small right so if i have three guys playing you're going to hear a little bit of what these guys are doing in the other person's microphones so in this setting, we can isolate everyone. So we play to a metronome. Yep. Let's say we do 10 takes. And then we'll mix our best take down. And let's say that, man, this take was really good, but the guitar player just had a little blip in something. We can go and slide in just that little part from a previous take. Yep. Um, and kind of that's how we approach with, with the vocals as well. Whereas before, it's like maybe you, you do a drum track and then you layer over that. Right. Um, so there's we can definitely doctor stuff up a little bit here. But no one but knows. No, <laughs> That's the key. No one knows. And you know what? No one, no one cares. That's right. Yep. No one cares. Like, you know, you don't, you don't care. You don't care how a movie's made. All you care is if you like the movie or not. And, yep. and it's unfortunate that way, too. You know, I think. You know, you're someone that probably views music differently. Um, 
simply because of the fact that you took some time to learn an instrument. You know, I think now that you've learned guitar and, and, and play a little bit, I'm sure that when you hear certain records, um, you're thinking a little bit more along those lines. Like, wow, how is this made to achieve that, that sounder? You know, I, at least I hope you, I, I wish more people would. I think it's cool. You know? No, it's, I, I breathe it, sleep it, eat it. But, you know, I'm your typical guy, typical guy who's stuck in the rut. But that doesn't mean I don't pick up the instrument every day and, and uh, right. make noise. You know, Janet will tell you that. She'll say I make too much noise. So. <laughs> All right, let's move along. Um, sure. COVID slowed everybody down, but um, I know you you kept pushing right through it uh, with social media and everything. And you, you caught the attention of Martin Guitars. Yep. Now, tell me a little bit about that. So I got a message one day from, uh, I believe her name is Sharon. Edit this stuff out because I don't want to be un- ungrateful. <laughs> um, but she is married, was married, or is married to the chief marketing officer at Martin. Nice who is now holds a different position there, I believe. But anyway, she said, Hey, you got to connect with Mitchell. I don't know how, how this woman found me. I think she's been following me a little bit. Um, it was after I posted a video of zombies and she says, you know, Martin guitar is doing great song, man. Great song. You know, that song did a a lot of positive stuff for me. Um, you know, personally and professionally, but, and she saw that song. She said, you got to get in touch with Martin guitar. My husband, um, is this guy they're doing this thing called jam in place turns out they have some ties to massachusetts um and their nephew is in a, an america kind of band as well um and i can't remember the name off of the top of my head but they're good i like them um but you know i connected with him he connected me with the team down in martin they said this is how we're gonna do it and so i was able to take over the martin facebook page for a for a short period of time and play a three song set which was a thrill because i've always played martins i love martin guitars and it's led to a relationship with them so when i was on tour this past year i was able to go visit the factory and shoot a couple visits at the martin guitar factory and i got to play uh kirk cobain's guitar i got to play was it johnny cash's guitar so you pulled into nazareth I pulled into Nazareth. <laughs> I, I absolutely did, and um, it was it was a thrill. It was a trip. I got the whole tour of the factory. Nice. I'm just grateful for these guys, and I have those videos. Uh, I've just kind of been saving and stockpiling a lot of content because I wanna for this upcoming album. Like the, the theme of it for me is really living, living the art, and living the songs, and. You know, a lot of these songs were written while touring, and I, I've been on the road for about a year and a half, and you know, with my last date being back in August. Um, and all these songs are kind of this real um, organic, uh, not, not genuine, I don't know if that's the word, um, like just a real honest, lived representation of it. Um, so I'm trying to capture all this somehow and find a way to word it and put it together and tell a little story um with it because it's i think it's been my most uh vulnerable and naked approach yet at things in in the sense that it you know it 
were trying to track live and these songs were developed live they were developed while touring and they were written in a tough time period i mean covid was was such a crazy thing but you know it's but like i do so much in, in music that COVID was a rare opportunity to focus on jazz art. Yeah, which is quite uh, unique, along with the uh, the Ghost Light series you did. Yep, the Ghost Light series was another thrill. Very Chuck cool Mc- videos. He's a guy that I think would do a great show for you. Um, Chuck is an interesting character. He is uh, a unbelievable musician turned politician turned venture capitalist turned musician again who's this you're referring to now chuck mcdermott chuck mcdermott okay i have met him um i met him at uh boston harbor distillery yes Um, yeah nice guy nice guy chuck is great you know he he's the real deal and he was one of the guys that was doing americana before americana was cool yeah Uh, and where that was just the music that our country played um, he's an incredible guitar player, great storyteller, um, a nice guy, an interesting guy, and he's a humble dude. You know, I mean, his career, you know, when he talks about music, he's played with Lindsey Buckingham and Johnny Cash. He's wow. he's staged with so many people, and he was, uh, I think, helped run the campaign of one of the Kennedys um, back in the day. And this led him to have some political affiliations and he became part of like the green energy campaign or he became like a, a big part of green energy uh, for, for the country. It, it's like this. I, I can't I don't even know where to. Well, you know, if I had my choice, I, I, I would have chosen Teddy Kennedy air uh, so you could, you know, because the drinks would be flowing. If you were right, working right. with him, <laughs> right? I think it was was a Joe Kennedy. Was that a Kennedy? Yeah, uh, Joe for oil. His campaign Joe. was always make sure that people don't go cold during the winter. And this was so. I mean, Chuck's from Iowa, um, yeah. And I don't know how we got connected with this. Um, that's funny that you met him up at the distillery. Um, and his son was telling me a funny story. He was like, you know, I go to his. He's like, I went to my dad's show at the distillery. And I didn't realize that all they serve is like their hard liquor. Yeah, what they make. And he, and he was like, I was trashed. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> he's like, you know, you know, you know, normally used to getting some beers and you have a couple beers and you're sitting around here. And he's, he had to get a ride home from a buddy that night. Um, but did you like, did you like that room over there? Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. The guy that I met through shows, uh, Steve Kate is one of the guys yeah. that um, puts on the shows. Uh, Steve Kate, cool. uh, the guy's name is Haggerty, and uh, uh, who's the other one? Um, escapes me, but beautiful place. We yeah. are we are somewhat pressed for time, so we're going to go right to sure the speed sorry, round. Sorry we're going we're going to end this on a on a speed round. Okay. And again, thanks for your time. And. Hey, at some point, maybe I'll I'll upgrade so we didn't have to cut this short. <laughs> yeah, no, that's all my fault. No, it's no, 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 not your fault. Um, we'll, we'll get you're going to get hit with ten questions. All right, okay, speed round. Go. You'll hear the bell if you take too long. Okay, uh, and I'll say next question. There okay. are no right answers, no wrong answers, and oh, just God, a reminder: there's no wagering. This is for I'm entertainment scared. purposes only. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, you're asked to play 
a show when you can only play one song. What song is it? Oh, God. Uh, one song. Wrong. It's a Dylan song. <laughs> what's, the last, what's the last music you listened to? The last music I listened to. Uh, totally Lame, My Own Music, The Mixes. <laughs> All right. First concert you ever went to? Uh, Horde Fest at Great Woods. The last concert you bought a ticket for? Uh, was uh, Jimmy Buffett. Seinfeld or Friends? Oh, Seinfeld. Absolutely. Cats and or dogs? Cats or dogs? Dogs. I know. Cosmo, right? So you're a Cosmo. Seinfeld fan. Yeah, there you go. That's it. All right. Favorite movie? Hurry. Oh, God. Uh, beer uh, or wine? Oh, beer. You're on death row. What's your last meal? Uh, buffalo chicken. All right. And the one song you wish you wrote? Ah, uh, so many of them. Uh, Wrong. Uh, it's a Dylan song. It's a Dylan song. <laughs> this I is like to, that. Neil. That was fun. That was this, fun. this is about to cut out. That's why I had to do that. I got to upgrade this version. It's telling gotcha. me I got less than a minute here. Um, gotcha. Jay, thanks, man. And I didn't want to take up too much time. So no, thanks no, for your time. All good. Sorry I was late to the party here. And listen, before this thing cuts out, th- thank you so much for your support. And just like that, episode one is in the books. Who's next? You'll have to tune in. Like the page, like I said, drop us a line, studio84hc at gmail.com. Questions, comments, nasty suggestions, just tell us you were there, tell us you listen, tell us we suck. Doesn't matter, just tell us something. Studio 84, the podcast.
can preach out, but it's hard to find. There's winners and there's losers, and I'm south of that line. Tired of getting stuck on this losing end. But I met a man last night, gonna do a favor for him. And everything died.